Hello, everyone, and welcome back to new episodes of the Reimagined Schools podcast. I'm your host, Greg Goins, and I'm so delighted to be back with you after what's been a lengthy hiatus due to the pandemic. But I'm back, I'm fired up, and I'm ready to lead the conversation again about how we can reimagine schools and create better schools for kids. So I'm going to call this the Summer Learning Series. So each week, uh, my goal is to bring you a different author, speaker, or prominent thought leader in K-12 education. Uh, we're going to focus on leadership, technology, and just anything that will help us in a post-pandemic world as we plan for a new school year. So as we kick things off, I'm very excited to bring in my friend and uh, a heavy hitter in the deeper learning movement, Dr. Justin Bathin is going to join us for this first episode. He has some exciting news at the end. Uh, you're going to talk about a new partnership with Ted Dinnersmith, as you all know, is a best-selling author and executive director and producer of the film Most Likely to Succeed. So you want to stay tuned to the very end for Justin's big announcement there. And also, Justin has a new book coming out this summer, and you certainly want to check that out. The name of the book is Leadership for Deeper Learning, Facilitating School Innovation and Transformation. And I've had a chance to get an early copy and it is fantastic. So if you have an interest in deeper learning, the, this episode is for you. A lot of great things we're going to unpack in this episode. My conversation with Dr. Justin Bathin begins right now. Hi, I'm Batsheva Frankel from Overthrowing Education, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Reimagined Schools Podcast the show that shines light on positive leadership, technology integration, and innovative solutions to transform our schools. Featuring many of the nation's top educators, tune in each week to hear from best-selling authors, popular speakers, and thought leaders throughout K-12 education as we continue the conversation on how to create better schools for kids. From the podcast studio in Georgetown, Kentucky, here's your host, Dr. Greg Goins. Hey guys, very excited to bring in the very first guest for the summer series that we're going to launch with this episode, Dr. Justin Bathin, who's not only a friend, but he also is a mover and a shaker with UK Next Generation. He serves as the Director of Innovative School Models at the University of Kentucky. And you know, Justin, you and I have uh, known each other for a while, and we've had plenty of opportunity over the last year, you know, to kind of talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of pandemic education, if you will. So uh, as we both had a little bit of time to reflect here, I guess the best place to start is, you know, what are some of those lessons that we've learned over the last year? And, you know, maybe talk about some of those things that you think will stick moving forward. So I have, I have thought about this a lot. I actually wrote a piece with uh, my center co-director, uh, Dr. Lou Young on communicating science in a time of crisis and the real challenges that everyone faced over this last year. Uh, I do think there's gonna be some, there are some clear permanent changes. Uh, just speaking with Marty Park, who's the chief digital officer here in Kentucky at the Department of Education. 
uh, I think we are somewhere 70, 80 different school districts are applying to run their own virtual schools for next year. And so virtual education in some form seems to be a quasi permanent new addition to uh, the system. Um, but I actually think, so there's, there's those near term sort of things. I actually think the longer term lessons though are the more important ones, but we won't see them for a little bit yet. Um, one of the things I've been reflecting on a lot since I, I work with leaders is, you know, how will leaders make sense of this? And will they even make sense of this? And where I think we see the real opportunity for change is not necessarily with the current crop of leaders. And I know you've got a lot of great leaders listening to this podcast, but I think it's in that next job that they take that we'll see the changes, right? So you've got a principal right now who just fought through this last year and learned a lot of real lessons about social emotional learning of kids, the reality of what kids are dealing with it at home. They also pushed through a year of virtual learning with their teachers, what, what does work, what doesn't work. As that principal moves on into a superintendent role, that's when I think they'll envision that job differently and maybe approach that job differently. And so I do think we're gonna see quite a bit of structural change as a result of the pandemic. But right now in 2021, in spring of 2021, we're in this race back to normal. And so there'll be a lot of leaders who see it as their job to try to get back to normal. And then some leaders, I think near the end of their careers, they might say, I got the system back to normal and that's the job that I felt like I needed to do here. And I'm ready to pass the baton to uh, a new leader who maybe wants to take on some of those more direct lessons in the pandemic. So I don't know if that answers the question. I'm very optimistic as opposed to some of the other folks out there in our world who are getting a little pessimistic because everybody's trying to race back to normal. I, I just think that those changes are gonna, we're gonna see some big structural changes. They're just gonna take a little bit more time. Yeah, and I think anytime you have disruption, I, you and I, I think agree on this. It's a great opportunity. I've even heard you call it a once in a generation opportunity to really make some sustainable change throughout education. Uh, I, you want to follow Justin on Twitter at Justin Baffin, but he tweeted this out here not too long ago, and I want to read this and make sure I get it right. Teachers, if now that kids are back in your classrooms, you find yourself using much less technology and going back to paper-based assignments and worksheet drop boxes, you are doing it wrong and miss part of the central learning of the pandemic. So this return to normal scares me a little bit because normal wasn't necessarily a good thing in a lot of lot of places. Hopefully some things that are going to stick are going to be more uh, of what we're going to talk about with your book with deeper learning strategies and kind of trying to find a way to engage kids in, in a more um, in a deeper way all, all the way around the board. Yeah, I mean that tweet, I definitely stand by it. It got some pushback on Twitter. Um, so I was a little surprised by the pushback, uh, but I, I, I'm still there. The thing that I don't think we can lose is digital transparency right now. As everyone moved to Google Classroom, what was happening inside of the learning environment, the classroom, even though now it's virtual, it became a lot more transparent to kids and teachers. And sort of that black box of the teacher's grade book and what the assignments are and what's coming up next. And like for a moment, 
that became very transparent. And some teachers were great at it. Other teachers really struggled with it, but everybody was trying to make that more transparent. And so I don't want to lose that transparency moving forward. Like that's a, that should be a permanent thing we hold on to. Uh, I am an advocate of learning management systems. Uh, I was the person at the University of Kentucky that really pushed hard for us to make the switch from Blackboard to Canvas. Um, I think there's a lot of value to the learner in being able to see the whole picture of a learning journey, being able to work ahead, being able to catch up, understanding in real time where your grades are. And so I think that just needs to be a permanent piece. Um, but the central learning is we cannot race back to normal. You're absolutely right that normal was not that good. Let's just be honest about who we were as an education system in the year 2020. We knew we had massive structural challenges. Um, and that's built on a lot of structural inequity that, uh, you know, we didn't build the system to get all kids to college. I mean, the, all along, we've always assumed that part of the job of school is to segregate kids. And so you have a system that was doing the job it was built to do, why would we wanna return and race back to normal to a system that's sort of built on a lot of flawed assumptions? Uh, so I, I do hope this once in a generation opportunity to step away from some of those flawed assumptions, uh, we, we take advantage of it. And you know, you and I have known each other for four or five years now, and I've, I've admired your work. And one of the things that has always impressed me is your efforts in leading the, the education reform movement here in Central Kentucky with what you're doing uh, as part of the team with Lou Young and Karen Perry at the University of Kentucky with the uh, UK Center for Next Generation Leadership. So uh, our listeners will hear us refer to this as UK Next Gen. Can you kind of talk about um, just the humble beginnings of getting that off the ground and what the impact has been because it has just been amazing the, the impact that UK Next Gen has had on schools throughout the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Yeah, sure. It's one of those things that, you know, people look at it now and say it's like an overnight success, but really it's been 10 years in the making. Um, so it did have humble beginnings. We started with just a leadership academy for existing school teams and we've kept that going. So we just finished year 10 of the Leadership Academy and, and next year we'll run year 11 of the, of the Leadership Academy. Um, and uh, we'll talk about later in the podcast, what happens next for the Leadership Academy, exciting things there. Um, however, uh, we, we started humbly, but I think we learned very quickly some core lessons that have stuck with us the whole time. Um, Leadership matters a lot. I think people that work in our world listen to your podcast. They know that intuitively, but it's not something the system structurally uses to its advantage as much as it could. Um, so uh, we just started with a group of willing districts here in Kentucky. Um, the, some projects emerged in that first year that are now part of the fabric of the state that uh, obviously I'm super proud of. Uh, the STEAM Academy in Lexington was a project that emerged from that first year. Um, Eminence Independent, which is a huge uh, innovative driver in Kentucky, emerged in that first year. We planted seeds of innovation in all kinds of districts that have really borne fruit over the last 10 years. Um, 
so it was humble beginnings, but I think we, we learned quickly, we adapted quickly, we tried to get in touch with what was going on nationally. Kentucky was not that in tune with the broader thinking about what school could be nationally. And, uh, and that's a good and a bad because Kentucky missed a lot of the national conversations on charters and, and that kind of stuff, uh, which I think was generally good for us. Um, but the bad was in progressive education circles, there were some charter schools like High Tech High that were doing amazing things and we had no idea. And so I think getting in touch with some of the best stuff that was going on nationally was part of what we did early. We mostly had to take our Kentucky districts to go show them examples in other states in that first year or two. But I would say by year three or four, we had already built internal examples that we would take Kentucky districts to go see. So we didn't have to rely on other states to show us what's next. We, we pretty quickly developed internally what's next. And so, um, you know, 10 years of doing that now, we have districts that are very far on that journey. Uh, as you probably saw, this is pretty recent. Um, the current issue of school administrator uh, features Shelby County, Kentucky and their competency-based education system. Um, so, you know, there's national love coming to Kentucky school districts at this point. It didn't start that way, but I, I'm really proud that we, we've made it there over 10 years. And, you know, when you talk about the success of both UK Next Gen and the, and the STEAM Academy, the high school, that uh, you have a, a cooperative agreement with Fayette County Public Schools and University of Kentucky, uh, great things happening there. If you ever get a chance to visit STEAM Academy, you want to do that, check out all the amazing things, all the amazing kids uh, that, are, that are taking place there. But all this is deeply rooted in deeper learning strategies. And you know, I, I've, you and I have been talking about deeper learning for so long. It's just a part of who we are whenever we have any conversation about innovation. But it wasn't that long ago. And you can probably still find some pockets around the country where deeper learning is a radical thing to talk about. And, Think about uh, your own personal journey with, with deeper learning. Was it a, a single person? Was it uh, you know, something you read or was it just by osmosis? Where, where was that aha moment for you when it comes to deeper learning? Uh, my entry point is similar, I think, to yours, Greg, in that I started primarily with tech. And there was a decade ago, you know, in the 2000s, a real realization that you know other industries are making huge changes. Um, entire industries were collapsing actually at the, <laughs> because of technological shifts. And so it was easy to see that education was not adapting to technology very quickly. So um, working with Scott McLeod, who's been a long-term partner and friend um, at, the, at a center called Castle, we were dipping our toes in the water with technology, but as you start to ask those questions, the question always very quickly became, so what can the technology allow you to do in the classroom that you couldn't do without it? You know, what is pedagogically different here? Um, or, you know, what content can we explore that we couldn't explore before? And when you start to ask those questions, then you, you really very quickly have to start to ask some questions about constructivism and, you know, historic progressive education movements. And so, I think that is the entry point to deeper learning that I personally got to experience. Um, the Next Gen Leadership Academy then became a process of osmosis. 
where we knew we couldn't run a whole year long leadership academy only about technology, right? That's, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot we can do with tech, but at the end of the day, you know, technology is just a tool. And so it's that other stuff that we needed to get into and explore. Um, how is the day structured? Are you sticking to a six period schedule or are you being more flexible? Simple, simple questions. But as any listener knows who works in our works in our world, you mess with the school schedule and you are starting to really screw up the building, right? Like those things have been honed over generations. And so, uh, you know, like we probably didn't know naively what we were stepping into as we stepped into those harder questions. But I think we also very quickly found out, you know what, when you start to mess with the school schedule, you can really unlock some things for kids that you couldn't do before. And so we very quickly got to see the power of asking those harder, deeper questions. And inevitably that took us toward that constructivist, uh, progressive kind of history of education where, you know, what Dewey wanted to do in the 1910s, 1920s, it's, that's almost the same stuff that we're working on now, right? Like we still haven't mastered what he was trying to accomplish a, gen, uh, a century ago. Um, and you, you, so you find yourself in that historical tradition very quickly. And then you unlock things like Ted Sizer in the Coalition of Essential Schools, right? And you start to really see how others have tried to systemically change education in the past and you try to learn those lessons, right? Like what worked for the coalition? Where were the struggles in the coalition? And then in our own modern times, you try, you try your best to make as much of an impact as you can. So I think that's what NextGen has, has tried to do. Um, and uh, we've been successful on some fronts. On other fronts, I'm still frustrated. You know, the fact that school boards are not prioritizing deeper learning in their hiring practices is a real frustration for me that we've not, like we've done a decent job of reaching existing educational leaders and practitioners. We have not done a very good job of helping the broader community understand that there are alternatives to traditional education and that when you're trying to hire a new principal, you need to be hiring someone that can lead you to that world. Um, so that's a, that's a pretty big miss for us over 10 years. And so I guess there's still some work to do. Well, let's jump into the book a little bit. The name of the book is Leadership for Deeper Learning, Facilitating School Innovation and Transformation. Uh, you mentioned one of your co-authors, Scott McLeod. The other is Jason Richardson. Uh, the book is endorsed by some pretty big names, Tony Wagner, uh, Young Zhao, Jimmy Cassis. All three have been on the podcast here. Uh, and basically you visited uh, 30 schools around the globe including uh, England, New Zealand, and India. So you really were taking a deep dive in trying to discover leaders that were really doing the work that you're talking about. So just kind of walk us through uh, the book project. I, I know it's been a lot of hard work, but I know you're, you can't wait for the book to come out and let people see it this summer. Yeah, I'm super excited for them to check it out this summer. Um, we Yes, we did put some international schools in just to really show some different contexts, but we did try to focus more on existing 
practitioner models here in the United States. So I would say you know, 25 of those 30 are here in the US. Of those, at least 15 of our models are traditional public schools that have gone through some kind of transformation effort. Um, so we just got to see a lot of different models and we traveled the country. I mean, we were road tripping planes, trains and automobiles, uh, started in uh, New York City and uh, sort of worked our way across the whole country, winding up on the West Coast with our last series of interviews. Um, and so we got to see it in action, got to deep dive with leaders, and we try to share what we learned in the book. Uh, I think one of the central learnings from the book is that leaders of deeper learning schools are mostly doing similar things as leaders of other schools, but they're doing it sort of uh, qualitatively differently in that you can see a traditional, right? Like you go to any school in America or any district in America, that district's gonna have a vision or a five-year plan, you know? And we've seen so many of them and mostly they're crap. Uh, it's a lot, bunch of platitudes. And so what you see from deeper learning leaders is this is a much more direct and intentional visioning process that has substance and deliverables, right? So it's, it's the same thing, but it's qualitatively different in terms of how that implementation happened. Um, so we saw that time and again across, uh, we used the Hitton Tucker uh, sort of unified theory of school leadership as a framework to build the book around. Uh, so we saw that same stuff from visioning uh, to pedagogical teaching and learning practices, um, the staffing personnel practices, um, the operations, scheduling, technology, all of those practices, and then how they work with community partners sort of frame the five big deep dives that we did with these deeper learning schools. Um, but then we add to the five domains of Hit and Tucker two additional do domains that we thought we saw pretty consistently. Um, so first of those is a real deep bias towards equity. And it doesn't always, it doesn't always show up as the first words out of a school leader's mouth that's leading for deeper, deeper learning, but it's always right there on the surface. They understood that what they were doing was to change the game for the kids who historically have been marginalized. That was very consistent, that we're moving to deeper learning, not so that the gifted kids could be even more gifted. We're moving to deeper learning so that we can have a school model where all kids have a more equal shot at succeeding in this environment. So that equity drive was ever present amongst deeper learning leaders. And we think it's different from traditional leaders who nod towards equity, but then continue doing the same thing. Uh, so these leaders looked at equity and said, that's the reason to do a different thing. Um, okay, so that's the first one that's different. Second one that wound up being different is there was a different level of courage amongst deeper learning leaders. They all sort of had the courage to step outside of the norm. And it takes tremendous courage to do that. Um, and you risk a lot when you tell a school community, hey, we're going to do this differently. Um, 
communities tend to freak out right away when that happens. Uh, there's a great story towards chapter five uh, of the book, chapter six, I guess, introduction of uh, a leader uh, of Casco Bay uh, in Maine. Uh, uh, this is Derek's second time to be a principal. His first time to be a principal ended with him almost being run out of town on a rail because the community reacted so poorly. To have that experience and then to say, you know what? I got this next job, but I'm gonna do it again. Think of the courage it takes to say, I'm gonna do it again, even though the first time ended really poorly. So uh, we really wanted to highlight the courage that these deeper learning leaders are showing and also reiterate for other leaders that are considering going down these roads, like you need to know going in, it's gonna take a lot of courage on your part to help the school transform. Well, and I think it was very wise uh, on your part and your, your co-authors to really make this a book that really shows what models look like. Because the number one question I get, and I'm sure you do as well, whenever I talk about innovation, uh, it's what does that look like? And when you talk about deeper learning, I've had people tell me, well, we just started a genius hour in fifth grade, or we just did that, we just built a makerspace at the junior high. And, um, you know, the response is, well, that's great. You know, that's, that's a great entry point to, to doing some different things there with deeper learning strategies. But I think it's just so valuable to have those models that people can kind of put their finger on in the book and then kind of take back to their school and figure out how does this fit in my environment? Yep, absolutely. I mean, we, we wanted to make it practical. And absolutely, I get that question all the time. I mean, it's one thing for me to explain, you know, theoretically, why Dewey's approach is the right way to go. But what leaders wanna see is how to do it. I wanna see what it looks like. I wanna unpack how they structured this. And so a lot of the book is just telling the stories that we got to see uh, on the ground as we visited all of these schools. Um, the stories that we're telling are not the teaching and learning stories as much. Like it's not, we don't tell as many, this was an awesome PBL that we got to see we tell the stories more of, you know, how leaders worked with their communities to go build Iowa big, for instance, you know, as a sort of high profile school in Iowa that gets a lot of love. Um, how you work with the community to get that job done, that's a leadership job. And so we're, we're giving those specific examples, but we're giving those specific examples at the leadership level more than at the classroom level. Yeah, and I think that's well said. So you definitely want to jump out and get the book when it comes out this summer. A lot of great advice there. Um, you know, shifting gears just a little bit, you and I do have a mutual friend in Ted Dinnersmith, um, not to name drop, but, uh, you know, Ted is someone I've had on the podcast several times, just a wonderful human being who's out there leading the, uh, the school reform uh, effort. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar with Ted, uh, the, the voice behind uh, and the money behind most likely to succeed, probably the, the best documentary uh, on education reform. Also has a great book out called What School Could Be. And uh, it, whenever I had Ted on one of my previous episodes, he talked about the fact that he came down and visited with you and some of the folks with UK Next Gen. And uh, it, Ted was talking about, he kept hearing the word Kara, Kara, Kara. And he thought maybe that it was someone's name he had forgotten. So he was looking around the room trying to figure out which, which person was Kara so he can go and tell them that he was sorry if he you know, did not mention them by name throughout the visit. 
And as we know, CARE is the Kentucky Education Reform Act from 1990. And we referenced that a little bit earlier with some of the changes in, in Kentucky. What is your relationship with Ted and what are some of the things you're excited about in working with him in the future? Uh, yeah, so Ted and I were introduced to each other as he was on his big national book tour and we had a showing of most likely to succeed at STEAM Academy um, in Lexington. So that was sort of the Lexington showing. And uh, of course, Ted has seen the movie a hundred thousand times or whatever. Um, and I had seen it a couple times previously also. So during the showing, Ted and I just hung out essentially. Um, and he was at the beginning of his national journey to put together what school could be. And so he had, I mean, he asked me questions straight for an hour and a half of what does this look like? How is this working? How do you find the schools that are innovating? You know, we at that point at NextGen probably had about six or seven years of experience of leading this work. And so, you know, we could share what we knew being six or seven years in, right? That was, you know, five years ahead of Ted's own journey. So uh, we're all learning from each other. So that was how the relationship started. Um, and we've kept in touch over the years. And uh, so I think that one of the things Ted has realized and he's invested in in a couple of states like uh, Virginia, North Dakota, Hawaii, is that sort of a state by state effort can be powerful. Uh, but there's also a lot of places, a lot of states who don't have natural in-house networks like UK NextGen is for Kentucky. And so we're going to team up um, coming up in the fall to offer a What School Could Be Academy based off of the uh, model that we've been running for 10 years here in Kentucky with the Leadership Academy. So it is just a national version of what we've been doing here in Kentucky, but we are hoping to catch some of those schools who feel like they're on an island. They don't have all the natural network supports that um, we try to offer here in Kentucky. And so uh, if you are listening to the podcast and you're like, hey, I'm one of those places. I want to go to deeper learning. I want to help know how to transform this school. But here in South Dakota, I don't have a ready-made network or the South Dakota Department of Education hasn't really figured out yet that we're moving away from standardized testing and we're moving away to more authentic assessments. And if you're ahead of that game and you see where we're going next and you feel like you need some support on that, well, that's, that's what Ted and I wanna team up to offer uh, school teams around the country. So we'll take about hundred overall participants, probably about 20 school teams in this first year from around the country. Um, the sign up for that will be at the What School Could Be um, Mighty Network, which you can find at whatschoolcouldbe.org. Um, so, you know, more details on that are going to be available really soon. But if you're if you're interested in bringing a team, we, we do require teams because as one leader, it's very hard to do substantive, sustainable change. You really need to have a team to do school wide change. And we usually find that about four to five people on that team is about what makes sense. Um, and so we do want you to bring a team. Uh, there is a fee uh, that we're gonna charge this year, uh, $750 for the whole year um, per person. So Ted is helping to subsidize some of the natural costs that we run here in NextGen. So we're running, we're running it at a lower cost because Ted is helping to scholarship some of the uh, the defray those costs for school leaders this upcoming year. 
So we're very, very, very excited about that. We're gonna do some leadership sprints in advance of that here over the summer um, to really help leaders think about what do I want my 2021, 22 change plan to be, right? So we're in this race back to normal, but if you agree that I don't wanna go all the way back to normal, there is some things I want to change in a permanent way, you need a strategy around that. You, you know, like what is that 21-22 strategy from a leadership standpoint that can help your school get to that new place and, and stay there sustainably? So we got some leadership sprints this summer uh, to help leaders sort of unpack and think about that. Um, so that's sort of the partnership that is emerging and we're really, really excited. Yeah, that, that's fantastic news. And you can find more information uh, on the What School Could Be uh, Academy website. You can always go to teddinnersmith.com and you can always connect with Justin again on Twitter at Justin Baffin. So yeah, Justin, and, at lead.school is our center's website. And so there's also information at lead.school about how to get signed up for these things. Okay. It's been a great conversation. I could talk with you all day. I'm very proud of uh, the work that you do uh, throughout uh, my home state here, as well as yours, and we're both in Central Kentucky. Uh, you're probably the first guest I've had that we could have met up at the local McDonald's and brought a microphone and, and uh, put this together. We've had a few breakfasts at Cracker Barrel, so we probably should have gone that route, but it's great to catch up with you. I do want to give you a chance just to, to have a closing thought. Uh, I always ask guests, uh, you know, as we wrap up, we think about this concept of, of how we can reimagine schools. And obviously deep learning is a big part of that for you. What advice can you give school leaders that are maybe listening to this episode and thinking, oh my goodness, this sounds like a, a great path, but I'm not sure where to begin. What do I do? Uh, okay, well, I would say um, the first thing that we always tell leaders is to identify an entry point that your school is capable of doing. So it could be that the genius hour is that entry point for you. And our, our suggestion with leaders all the time is take the first step, have the courage to take the first step and then really watch it and understand what's happening. Like you need to really, really talk with kids, understand what's changing. Once you start to taste a little bit of success, you're gonna want more. And so that courage that we talked about earlier in the book I mean, that's the critical ingredient that only deeper learning leaders seem to possess. It's the courage to take the first step and the second step. And then suddenly you're on a journey and your teachers are excited. Your community is a little bit confused, but also really fascinated by exhibition night because, wow, I've never seen kids present their projects like this. And so, you know, pretty quickly you find yourself in a new place and a better place. Uh, so I'm, I'm all about that courage to take the first step. So if you're listening and you're on that fence, try it and see what happens. You don't have a lot to lose. Well, that's certainly great advice. And uh, of course, well said here by Dr. Justin Baffin. So folks, you want to follow Justin on Twitter again at Justin Baffin. And be sure to jump out and pre-order that new book that's coming out later this summer. The name of the book is Leadership for Deeper Learning. So that's a wrap for this first episode here in our summer series. Be sure to share, like, and subscribe wherever you find your favorite podcast. 
And as always, folks, fight for change every day and do what you can to create better schools for kids.